Greetings, citizens. I, uh, I guess I haven't made an entry in a while. I'm afraid, uh, well, traveling the trods, there's always dangers, isn't there? However, I've been safely settling my feet underneath this lovely, beautiful, weirwood desk. Grabbing myself a few glasses of mead, maybe a few more mugs of nestle tea, just to get over the, uh, the headache. Now, in my time here to recollect over the, well, I can only describe them as horrors of facing creatures. Um, well, of course they were lawn, but something quite else in the airs of Terranale the far east of the Navari lands and uh, specifically around the area of East Stream. I've, uh, I've had some time to think and one tale I do want to tell before I'm uh, laid to rest in one of those corpse glades. There's something very personal to me and that is the Battle of the Aphrodon. Scant years ago, in the year 380 of the year of the Empress, it uh, well, that's where it began. And for the first time in a generation, the Navari had hope, a real hope, that we could retake some of our ancestral homeland. However, unfortunately, it's a tale of hope, loss, and, and woe. And today I'd like to, well, I'd like to share that story with you. From the eyes of our generals, the eyes of our senators but maybe most importantly the eyes of the thorn who was there at the front it all began as i said in the year 380 year of the empire where the Jotun and imperial armies were clashing in caraman and locked in a bloody battle over the control of the sierra briante the orcs barely noticed us moving along the border through the sparse woodlands and low hills of Serra de Marta and into the mountains of the northwest. We travelled quickly in small groups. Sometimes we used trods, sometimes we didn't, but they always moved with uh, such speed and stealth and purpose, at least those in my band. There were soldiers in the core of our army, but were joined by warbands from the Aphidon, the Runin, Miaran, Bekeliand, and Hycenia. Some of them are experienced, some enthusiastic, let's say, and some have just passed their citizenship tests with the lovely pinkness of youth in their cheeks and the glint of eager hope in their eyes. There are, of course, the Stoics who have fought those barbarians for years and decades and the doom of Terranail, uh, their word at least for the Valorn, for all of their lives. And there are people who, until recently, oversaw herb gardens or forest reservations, and they've left behind their life of tendering and taken up the bow and the spear. Now, to read from the official accounts, there are a few clashes between Jotun and Orc and Avari, but not many. The scions of Terranale do not seek to engage the Jotun, and when they set their minds to moving swiftly and with focus, 
that Jotun cannot gainsay them. They have more pressing matters in Sarah Briante, after all. The Navarre, the warriors of the Black Thorns and their allied captains, give Demata and the cliffs a wide berth. Had they pressed closer, Jotun would have treated them as a threat and would have drawn them into their campaign to conquer Caraman. But they have other places to be. Not everyone who travels the hidden paths with the Black Thorns is Navari. Beside them walk a company of dark-clad highborn, two bands of pale Ushkans far, far from their homes in Miyakova, and a fellowship of quiet warrior mystics from the marshes of Wintermark. They match the Navari for cunning and for caution. Some of those allies are pale, paler still than the Ushkins, and grim, and do not fear the death of the body, for their souls belong to a world very far from the dark forests of the Atherton. The clarion call of ivory and dust has been sounded, and the servants of the eternal Kayla march alongside many of the Navari warbands. Well-paid freeborn scouts, hard-bitten and scarred and foul-mouthed, lead them through a certain pass in the mountain. They do not follow them down into the forest, preferring to take their chances in Caravan with their well-earned ages. One by one, the disparate bands reunite in Beacon Point. A month after the end of the spring equinox, some 7,000 Navarre raise the standard of the Black Thorns in the Atherton and begin to take back their home. Our home. Many of them have left friends behind, or families in the corpse glades of the Atherton. They are angry, but they all know that they will have a hard fight ahead of them. They are prepared to fight the legions of the Jotun, to strike from the shadows beneath the trees, and to run from any pitched battle. They are also prepared to give their lives to save as many of their people as they can. There is no parley, no prisoners, no mercy. Not on either side. The Jotun injured are <laughs> quickly, let's say, quickly executed. Navahu fall and cannot be rescued, are killed without question by the Jotun in kind. There is no time for pity. There is no way to be sure just how many warriors the Jotun have left in these woods. Two things become clear as the guerrilla campaign wages. The armies of the Jotun are not in the Atherton, or not in the south at least. There is some resistance, especially along the southeastern borders, outposts and watchers left behind by the armies moving from the west into the Cinnabar Hills. The Black Thorns hit fast and pull back to the cover of the woods. The Oten are well trained, but they are reticent to pursue the human druge into the forests. They know the they know <laughs> they really do know. The Navari will show them no quarter. There are not even any supply trains to Harry. Most likely the Jotun in the Cinnabar Hills are being supported by the Orcs of Lansambria, 
the Navari have taught them the dangers of running their baggage trains through the woods. Second, despite this lack of organised occupation, liberating Beacon Point and establishing a beachhead here will be a difficult task for a single army, even with the support of nearly 3,000 fawns and their allies. But they are Navarre and they are cunning. They know that this is a gamble, for everything depends on what the Jotun do next. If the Jotun conquer Karaman, well, Blackthorns risk being trapped in the Atherton, and easy prey for the vast Jotun host. There are enough Orc warriors in the Cinderby Hills alone to strike down every Navari soldier twice over, should they turn their attention towards the forest. Worse, because it always gets worse, there is the Valorn. Oh, don't get me wrong, there's little sign that they've been slumbering, or that the slumbering behemoth itself is any more active than it has been for a century or more, but it cuts the Atherton in half like a festering wound. It is not enough to free Beacon Point and Western Scout. To liberate the Atherton will require the Jotun hold to be broken on some or all of the northern regions, and that may prove extremely tricky for a single army, even one driven by the passion to retake their homeland. Yet, there is hope. There is always hope. By the end of the second month, the survivors of the Atherton begin to make themselves known. Friends, old, distant relatives stepping out onto the forest trails with their arms open wide but their eyes so closed. At least, uh, close to us. The Thorns of the Black Scar are the first to arrive. And this, well, dear listeners, this is where we come into play. And we bring with us scores of former citizens of the Atherton who have enlisted into our service. And I'll be honest, it was not difficult. Not difficult to rile up a crowd keen to retake what is rightfully theirs. Small groups of daring messages are sent to Western Scout and north to the edges of the Valorn in search of other resistance groups. There may be no armies, but there are still orcs to fight. People still die. Yet, now the standard has been raised. The last remnants of the people of the Atherton are coming to fight beneath it. They will not go gently into the night. They will rage, rage against the Jotun, rage like the fires that consumed their homes, and rage until there is a final reckoning and the Atherton is free again. Now, as we move on from the summer and into the darker days of autumn, the Navari have raised the Banner of Thorns the warriors of the Navarre flock to fight with them, both those of the other forests and the survivors of the Jotun's rage. The Senate has ensured that there are plenty of weapons and armour to equip them. Their numbers are swollen by new recruits. They are further bolstered by the forces of 30 Navarre captains and half a dozen imperial heroes of other nations, who bring with them an additional two and a half 
thousand troops. Even the dead rise to fight the enemies of the Navarre. The Oten raise burial mounds over those they honour, but they have left the dead of the Navari where they fell. A fatal mistake. On the last night of the summer solstice, a thousand murdered Navarre rise to the heed of the echoing call of winter magic. Shambling, abominable, hungry for orc flesh, thirsty for orc blood, they howl for vengeance against those who have slaughtered them, slew their families, burnt their steadings, scattered their stridings. They are terrible. Yet, even they are not so terrible as the living, <laughs> or at least we like to think. The Navari who still breathe launch ruthless, terrifying attacks against the Orc. They fall upon the hated enemy with cruel, savage attacks, but leave no room for mercy on either side. The bodies of the fallen Orcs are despoiled, displayed as trophies to fill the faltering hearts of their foe with terror. Wherever they are victorious, they make grisly scarecrows of the fallen orcs, providing a fearsome lesson to the Jotun as to what it really means to face the full fury of the Navarre, unleashed at last. The anger of the Jotun falters. As it is, only token forces remain in the Atherton, scattered warbands hunting the remaining defenders through the trees. It becomes clear as the Blackthorns advance, but these warbands are unprepared for the Navarre. They present little challenge. Their tactics are better suited to pitched battles than to the relentless, unending guerrilla assault of 7,000 mobile Navari and their unliving cohort. A weak-seeming band of stragglers turns on the warband that pursues them as the trees sprout archers like a murderous fruit. A poorly defended steading proves too ripe a prize to resist, only for the Oten to discover the token garrison has faded away, and now they are surrounded by an army of Navari. A routing, <laughs> and I must emphasize routing here is not without its inverted commas. A routing band of Navari ambushers leads the unsuspecting Jotun into the forlorn miasma, then fades into the shadows as the orcs fall to packs of shrieking husks. The darkness that the Jotun have always feared lurks beneath the trees and has come alive, and their warbands are no match for it. Their warriors learn that when they fight these heirs of Terranale, and uh, with what foresight this report has been written, but when they fight these heirs of Terranale, they will not fall in heroic combat, but will be slain unawares butchered like sheep, oblivious to the danger until it is too late. They will not rest beneath burial mounds, but will hang rotting from the trees of the forest, torn apart and defiled utterly. Their certainty for their heroism will carry them across the howling abyss begins to falter. Anger gives way to fear. The western orcs pull back, retreating first to Western Point and thence to Hordland and Rhinos. They refuse the tempting lures placed before them and withdraw rather than attack. 
as the autumn equinox approaches, they begin to quit southernly Aphidon, altogether rejoining the Jotun forces fighting elsewhere in less terrifying terrain. They fall back where they see movement amongst the trees, where there is any hint of Navari forces, even if they're not there at all. The Jotun do not like to fight beneath the dark canopy of the forests at the best of times, and this is very far from the best of times for the orcs. Within six weeks of the end of the solstice, Beacon Point is liberated. The Black Thorns and their allies, both living and dead, push on to Western Scout. There is some scattered resistance, and during the day, the Jotun hold their own. But when night falls, the orcs die, alone, afraid, and voiceless in the dark. And as those dark, dark nights move into winter, the Blackthorns have pushed deeper and deeper into Western Scout, encountering little resistance from the orcs. They begin to recapture ruined steadings while hunting for survivors and the work of integrating the influx of Navari Thorns into their army is complete, swelling the army's numbers to well over 7,000. The dead Thorns, raised by winter magic, continue to fight alongside their living brothers. Hope rises that southern Leafadon can be liberated within a couple of weeks. And as I said, all stories start with hope, but give way to woe. Those hopes are smashed less than a month after the autumn equinox, when a massive Jotun force pours through the mountains from Karaman and devastates the thorns left behind to consolidate Beacon Point. The Jotun are furious, incandescent with rage. If anything, they are even more filled with rage than they were the last time they swept through the Arthurden. They are a tired of, well, a tide, if not a tired, tide of fire and steel, purposeful, ruthless, and washing east to west and slaughtering everything in their path. They don't waste time. Where they encounter fortified resistance, they simply burn it out and move on. They offer no quarter. Columns of black smoke mark their progress through the forests. The Navari put up a spirited defence, but even with their enlarged force, they are vastly outnumbered. And over the course of the next two months, three thousand thorns are lost to the Jotun advance. More than died on the Iron Plains, or more than fell to the flux in Rykos. As many soldiers as fell defending the walls of Holfried. Cut to pieces, crushed beneath iron boots, rent asunder by the fury of the barbarian armies who form a veritable wall of death as they root out every Navari that they can find. Unable to stop the onslaught, the Blackthorns are pushed west. There is no opportunity for them to try and break the Jotun lines. They are too spread out, and the Jotun are simply too strong. Beacon Point is lost within a month, and the gains of the Imperial troops, at least made in Western Point, soon come under attack. 
There is little doubt the Jotun forces are bent on the complete destruction of the Black Thorns. They seem largely disinterested in capturing territory compared to slaughtering the Vari soldiers. Now, that route might have been complete were it not for the efforts of a score of brave Thorns fighting alongside the army with their elite military units. There is nothing these seasoned soldiers can do to cut the losses suffered by an army, but their aid is sufficient to slow the attackers and give it time to regroup. However, their numbers are nearly half of what they were last season. The assistance the Blackthorns were receiving from other nations has vanished, and over a third of the elite Navarro units have gone with it, much to the chagrin of some of our more loyal brothers and sisters. But still, many have stayed on, resisting the lure of the Gerderon and the opportunity to get paid for racing their troops in the morn. All is not necessarily lost, at least not yet. The advance of the Jotun is slowed by the need to deal with the forces in Beacon Point. The Blackthorns are still holding on to parts of Western Scout, meaning they still possess a beachhead should they be in a position to fight back. Yet, it cannot be denied that the army is caught in a vice. A Jotun army to the east that seems bent on their complete annihilation. Unknown Jotun forces to the west and the south. And to the north. Well, to the north lies the Valorn. However, they are not completely trapped. The Pan well, the paths of Lan Thuvan remain open, providing a possibility for retreat through the Valorn to West Ranging. The Jotun could not follow directly. They would need to circumnavigate the Valorn, come in to West Ranging from the north, and assuming they realised that the Blackthorns had gone, of course. They could advance into the northern Lysambrian hills into Rhinos, and thence hope to fight their way back into Karaman from the west by midsummer. Or they could attack west into the unknown Jotun territories that lie beyond the forest. Or they could try and force their way east, hoping to somehow overwhelm the Jotun advance and make it back through the mountains to Karaman. But even if that were possible, they would likely see significant casualties suffered by the already bloodied army. Or they could stand and fight. And as those cold winter nights shift once more into spring of the year 381, year of the Empire, the General of the Blackthorns decides to walk the paths of Lanthuven, bound with a powerful enchantment, woven from spring magic by the vates of the voice of the quiet forest. They pass from the battlefield of Western Scout into the heart of Westwood, bound for West Ranging. Behind them, they lead Chaos and Dead Navarre. Two hundred thorns sacrifice their lives to slow the orc advance long enough for the army to gather at the ruins of the Jotun burnt steading of Hidden Walk. Without the magic of the Quiet Forest, many more would have died. Yet, as their new protective enchantment takes hold, the hungry dead bound to the Navari army are let loose. 
a thousand spirit-ridden husks. A thousand slaughtered Navari are given a chance at vengeance against their murderers, and a thousand winter horrors are set free to follow their true nature. As the Blackthorns enter the paths of Lanthuven, the dead that have been let loose let a single terrifying howl out from each ten hundred unliving throats and race through the woods towards the advancing Jotun. Unleashed, their furious hunger is indiscriminate. They fall on their former brothers and sisters, and with the same abominable relish with which they sail the orcs. While the potent magic woven to protect the black thorns blunts the worst of the attack, the last huddled groups following the black thorns through the paths bear savage wounds and marks of the gluttonous hunger of the creatures they have unleashed. Leaving the Jotun behind to face the unbound wrath of the dead, the army passes into the forlorn, choked westward. Shrouded with night magic, woven into the pathway, four and a half thousand Navar walk into the very jaws of their greatest foe, and through the asphyxiating miasma they walk. Though the green hell that it is, in this riotous depth of doom of Terranale, no fawn who makes this journey will ever forget it. It is one thing to range into the Valorna scouts as small bands, but quite another to march an army into the deeps. The magic protects those who keep to the path, but the journey is not without its dangers. Stray too far to the left or the right, miss one of the boundary stones, fail to pass through one of the archers, the alien beasts that dwell in the depths of this forlorn strike without warning, and the miasma allows little room for mistakes. Yet, still, the Blackthorns are protected. The magic of spring can bring terrible death, but it also brings life. Those injured by Jotun axes or torn apart by unliving claws quickly recover from their wounds. While the paths do not lie along a trod, the enchanted soldiers find it easy to push themselves forward. Anything to get to the far end of the paths as soon as possible. Now, when I say as soon as possible, well, it depends if you talk to any veterans, but some of us found that time had a little meaning on those paths. The trees grew impossibly thick in the westward blocking out the sky. The fog of the miasma chokes everything, and even at noon, little night penetrates the canopy, leaving everything shrouded in twilight. And at night, it is worse. The plants and insects near the path possess an eerie phosphorence, rendering the depths of midnight into the same encompassing twilight. Objectively, it takes a little under a week to pass from north to south, and uh, by those of you who are not keen geographers, that is extraordinarily quickly to move across any 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 area that size. But uh, nonetheless, one filled with the heart of a Valorn. However, subjectively, it's hard to say, and even measured in sleep, it is difficult to track exactly how long the journey takes. One soldier may be famished, thirsty 
and stumbling near exhaustion, while her companion is satiated, full of energy. It makes little sense. Eventually, though, the Blackthorns emerge, coughing, blinking, and stumbling into the southern woodlands of Jotunheld West Ranging. They take one night of rest in the ruins of Silent Stand Steading, and then they attack. As the Blackthorns strike from Silent Strand into the forests of the southern border of, well, the southern border of northern Leafathan, the second Imperial force drives up into the territory from the north. The Freeborn of the Fire of the South have made their own march north out of Caraman, through Tosato, through Upwold and Mitwold, and then down again into the marshes of Bregasland. A heroic charge, a testament to the ferocity and the stamina of the soldiers of the Bay of Catazar. They too rest for a single night after their mad rush, a sea of rainbow tents along the causeway east of Solo, and then into West Ranging they go, with the aid of flat-bottomed boats of the marsh folk. The Jotun garrisons are alert for potential invasion, but they are looking north, not south. When the Freeborn enter the woodlands, they are ready for them, ready to fight, but not so half as ready for the Navarre who strike from the south and out of the Valorn. The first engagement is a rout. The orcs fall back as soon as they see the Navarre, clearly mistaking them for some new horror out of the westward. They rally quickly, however, once it becomes clear that they are facing a mortal threat. The defenders are outclassed, but they are stubborn. Two imperial armies exchange messengers, and moving quickly and with sure purpose, they finally meet up and turn their attention to the last Jotun holdouts. They hold nothing back, nothing back at all, but in the end it appears that the long years the Jotun have had to prepare for a serious imperial assault have of course worked in their favour. The imperial forces have taken most of the region, but there are still pockets of resistance. And worse, as news spreads of the imperial attack, Jotun bands from the Ath Ring and the Ath Glen begin to harry the Imperials from the east. The Imperials ultimately failed to secure the region, but they are very close. The Jotuns still control the lightly fortified ruins of the former Navari steading of Seven Eves, and two or three key points along the route between Hanmark and the Mornwald. If nothing changes, the Empire could secure these final objectives next season, but that is provided nothing changes. And as that summer season rolls around, <laughs> again, ask anyone in living memory, and they will not remember a time like this. It's been many years since Imperial troops laid a claim to the territory of a barbaric orc nation. It's true that the recent Dornish advances in the Barrens briefly gained new ground, but that ancient wilderness was not under control of the Druze when the conquest began, and Dawn has made temporary advances into the Barrens before. No, not since the reign of Empress Branan has the Empire really made a serious attempt to attack the Druze, the Jotun, the Thule, or the Grendel at home. Arguably, 
it has been only a little under two centuries since the Empire last successfully attacked and conquered any new lands claimed by barbarians. The attempt to regain the Empire's former might begins a week after the end of the spring equinox, as the Black Thorns cross the western borders of the Athafen into the Jotun territory of Hordaland. Lying just to the west of the Empire, Hordaland has been a staging ground for Jotun aggression in the north and the south for almost as long as there has been an Empire. Spies report that the territory is fortified and with a large population of Jotun orcs. It is perhaps not what the Empire would imagine when they think of barbarian lands. The territory is crisscrossed with well-maintained roads. There are many well-defended settlements, great numbers of farms, watchtowers, palaces and memorials. Merchants ply their trade, fisherfolk cast their nets. If not for the fact that the people living here are primarily orcs, it would be easy to mistake Hordland for Hanmark or even Mitwald. Nonetheless, the Blackthorns duck across the border from the forests of West Ranging to the forests of Valorberg and begin their steady conquest of Hordland. However, even the best laid plans oft go awry, and the first major fly in the ointment of this bold plan is when the Blackthorn scouts detect a sizable Jotun force moving in the opposite direction. But just as they slipped from Karaman into southern Leathathan in the summer of last year, the Navari used their speed, woodcraft and supernatural strategic senses to avoid any major engagement. It is possible that the Jotun do not immediately recognise their enemies, being set on travelling east into Leathathan. There are a small measure of strategic skill and a large dose of luck, the Blackthorns are able to avoid the Orc forces and enter Hordaland. Now, Valorberg is a largely uninhabited region and under the grip of what the Jotun termed the Dead Forest. Their name for the great forest that spreads across the Atherton and the eastern borders of the southern Jotun kingdoms. Some of the forest has been cleared for farming, mainly around the Hellas River in the north and the Volg River in the south. The Blackthorns encounter <laughs> minimal resistance, at least at first. It seems that the farmers of Valoberg would rather flee than fight, and those who cannot flee are forced to surrender, becoming surly prisoners, stubbornly refusing to cooperate with their captors. Battles are sporadic and short. There are small, scattered bands of Jotun warriors on most of the farmsteads, and some of them make a stand, despite the overwhelming odds arrayed against them. They put up a spirited fight. However, giving their lives to protect what they own, apparently determined to be the last to leave. Only those farmsteads where the occupants have had time to completely flee are undefended. Some of the thralls are orcs, but many are humans. Despite the deaths of their masters, neither group seems appreciative of their liberators. Indeed, apart from the obvious physical details, the human thralls are nearly indistinguishable from the others. Both groups appear intimidated by the Navarre, as if expecting a summary execution at any moment. A fortnight sees the Blackthorns make steady gains into Valorberg. 
and then the situation begins to turn. And now, dear listener, as hope turns to woe, turns to tragedy. Two wide scouting patrols fail to return. When the third finally appears, half its number are dead and the rest are walking wounded. They provide a dire warning. One significant, or at least one significant, Jotun force is camped nearby, supported by the garrison of a major fortification. As near as the scouts can tell, the Jotun force that passed by as they slipped into Hordland had left one or more armies behind with orders to resupply. Convoys of food and essential supplies are being moved to the Jotun armies, and this includes wagons filled with mithril, presumably intended for emergency resupply. All those attempts have been utterly thwarted by the expected presence of the Black Thorns. A strategic victory of sorts. But now they are coming for the Navarre in force. And three days later, the Jotun hammer falls. The first major engagement in Western Valorberg goes to the Black Thorns. A significant force of Jotun move to reinforce a village near the Hellas River, but they are heavily outnumbered and retreat once the majority of thralls have been evacuated. And this represents the last gain the Navari make in Hordland. Two days later, a much larger force attacks, and the Blackthorns receive this attack from the southeast, and it pushes them back across the Volg. Then at dawn the following day, the force in the north attacks again, pushing the Navari westward. Their strategy is straightforward, but even the most powerful enchantment on their army provides insight into how best to counter it. The Blackthorns are hard-pressed to take advantage of the insight it offers, however. The Orcs attack with the rhythm of the smith at the anvil, a hard strike in one place and then retreat, and attack somewhere else the next day. They leave few openings for the outnumbered Navari to exploit. The exact numbers of the orcs opposing the Imperial army are difficult to estimate, even for the Navari scouts. Independent captains have swelled the depleted black thorns to nearly double their size, and at first it appears that the orc and Imperial forces might almost be matched in size. But as the days wear on, that hope fades too. The Ocean Generals are carefully rotating their forces and driving the Navari back, even while they minimise their own casualties. By the final month of the campaign, there is little doubt that the defenders of Hordland outnumber the Blackthorns and their auxiliaries. Although how many of these troops are part of an army, and how many are home guard forces, is impossible to say. Hopefully, any scouts attached to the spy network in Hordland May have more information. Nonetheless, the Blackthorns are outmatched nearly two to one and steadily forced backwards. The Jotun defence is careful but relentless. They harry the Navarre night and day, driving them out, and less than one month before the summer solstice, it becomes painfully clear that they are certain to lose all the gains they have made. Scouts are increasingly assigned to seek out paths by which the bulk of the army might escape intact. But rather than rout, 
the Blackthorn stage a disciplined retreat. Once they decide to move, they move fast and sure. The best fawns fight a delaying action to let the Navari gather their forces together, and then the entire army moves back into eastern Leafadon, abandoning Hordevant to its Jotun masters. And then, at this point, only then does the true horror become clear. In West Ranging, the territory they just entered after this retreat from Hordevant, they discover an immense force of Jotun orcs, a force that massively outnumbers them, perhaps as much as five to one, a force that has been waiting for them. A week before the summer solstice, the situation for the Blackthorns and the Aphidon is dire. They are surrounded by Jotun forces on all sides, with an impenetrable wall of Jotun stone and steel at their back in Hordeland. If not for their facility for mass movement, apologies, need to readjust my spectacles. If not for their facility for fast movement, it is likely they would have suffered catastrophic losses already. While the Hordeland adventure only saw the loss of 500 Navari soldiers, once the Jotun press the attack, they are certain to lose many times that number. If the forces in Hordeland were like the Smith's Hammer, the forces in the Aphidon are like a raging forest fire, eager to reduce the Blackthorns to ashes. The situation looked very bad indeed. And as the end of our story comes near, as the summer days of retreat fade into the shorter ones of autumn, the Blackthorns are still surrounded by the might of the Jotun in West Ranging. However, thanks to the courageous actions of the Imperial heroes at the summer solstice, the worst of the Jotun wrath has been averted for a few days, and these few vital days save thousands of Navari lives. A handful of hours gained during which the magicians of Ferushka were able to weave a potent shroud over the army. Wrapped in a mysterious call of night magic, the entire army is hidden from the eyes of the Jotun. During the day, black ravens with amber eyes fly above them, and at night, black owls roost in the trees above their camp, and when they must fight, black crows feast upon the fallen. When the Navari move, the shadowed places beneath the trees of the Aphidon, they do so as smoke and shadow. The gaze of their enemies is diverted, turning aside, or at least turned aside, by trickery and coincidence. When they are stationary, thick mists and unnatural shadows guard their camp. Their fires burn with peculiar dark flames that provide heat, but little light. Jotun patrols are subtly misled away from their locations. When an unfortunate Jotun party gets too close, they flounder in an eerie gloom through which the Navar can see easily, and the Orc scouts die silently. Taking advantage of this power, the Blackthorns slip out of the Orc noose and flee eastward 
through the Ath's Ring and the Arvin's Glen, and thence into the Mornwald. Home. When they reach Alderley, the enchantment starts to fray, but it lasts long enough for them to take the Jotun there completely by surprise. The shroud is not perfect, but it does not need to be. The Jotun manage to intercept some unfortunate soldiers, but the majority are able to avoid the Ring of Steel that threaten to destroy the entire army and make it safely back to the Mornwald. As the Black Thorns are leaving Northern Leafathan, the Quiet Step is entering once more at Beacon Point. The other Navarre army has marched down through Tosato, through Karaman, and into the Southern Forests. They press forward carefully, steadily, wiping out any Jotun camp they encounter. More importantly, they are able to send their scouts north to harry the Jotun. Some risk the paths of Lanthuven, others gird themselves for war and slip through the terrible paths consumed by the Valorn. A handful here, a handful there, nothing approaching a full army. But they harass the Jotun supply lines in the north. They trick the Jotun, who must imagine that the Blackthorns have somehow found a way to hide in the Aphidon from their keen eyes. There is little reliable intelligence from the north, but the scouts who return safely are certain that the Jotun are chasing their own tails and jumping at shadows. They will get little rest this season, and it takes them the better part of six weeks to work out exactly what is going on. The Jotun must know the Quiet Stepper in the south now, but there is little they can do about it, at least for this season. For their part, the Quiet Step have made some gains in Southern Leafathan, and you could say that they're almost a fifth of the way towards liberating Beacon Point from the Jotun. However, dear listeners, as the Blackthorns fade back into the safety of the Mornwald, and the Quiet Step harass the Jotun, confusing them and leading them on a almost a wild goose chase. It is at this point I will finish my account for now. We will be back for the Aphidim. We will be back not just for the Jotun, but for the Valorn as well. But that is a tale for another time. So, when you walk on the trods and you feel comforted by the mighty trees to your left and right and the boughs and the canopy above you, treasure those moments for those comforting trees and light filtering canopies can turn into dark dark horrors. Hold your loved ones close and pray you never join us there. <laughs>